foster care. And I'm Bella Junior! Well, we'd like to talk about all things kid-related, whether it's foster kids, bio kids, adopted kids, step kids, or anything else. I think the information you'll learn here will be very valuable. We'd like to bring you guests who have either been foster kids themselves, lived with foster kids, or maybe even people who are helpers, like psychologists and caseworkers. If you have a story that you'd like to have highlighted on our show, please feel free to contact me at fostercareuj at gmail.com. We can chat and set up a time to do an interview. I'd love to be able to tell your story. We're here to inspire you to become the best parent that you can be, whether that is a step-parent or bio-parent or foster or adoptive. What we really want to do is change the world for the better and leave it in a better place than we found it. Now on to the show. Welcome back, Foster Care Nation. You've found Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda, where we like to talk about foster care and adoption. We also like to tell stories to encourage, educate, and inspire others who are in the foster care or adoption arena. Be sure and run over and check us out at fostercarenation.com, where you can find links to all of our socials. The biggest thing you can do to support us is to be sure and share us with a friend. If you happen to have a couple extra dollars and you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash fostercarenation. We promise to only use the money to buy Pop-Tarts by the pallet because, seriously, we have like a lot of kids. If you'd like to share your story with us, contact us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. We'd love to share your story as well. Today, Carolyn Rittenauer is going to tell her story about being a bio mom in the adoption triad. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey with Jason. And Amanda. Today, we are here with Caroline Rittenauer. How are you doing today, Caroline? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to have you on here. I ran across you, I believe, in a Facebook group. Is that right? I think so. My friend Lauren actually um, told me about what you guys were doing, um, and um, I work with Lauren on a project, so I decided to reach out to you, I think. I remember talking with Lauren about that project. Um, tell, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that was one of the things that, that really interested us as, as foster parents, learning how to, to understand all the sides of it. I, I looked at that and went, yeah, that's something that needs some more attention in this world. Are you talking about our retreats that we do? Or Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. So um, I help facilitate retreats for women who have um, post-placement, so have made adoption plans, whether that is through... Um, their own choice or through um, like a CPS situation um, so that they have a place to um, a safe space to uh, talk about what's going on and to build um, a community of women that understand uh, what it's like and that get it and where you can talk unfiltered about what's going on so which is probably the most important part um, what we do so the nutshell of it <laughs> yeah as <clears throat> As foster parents, we found it's really easy to walk in. And now, I mean, mind you, we've had a couple cases that the stories would curl your toes a little bit. Uh, we, we've mm-hmm. had a couple um, couple biological moms who, like, did serious jail time for the stuff they did. And dads. And dads as well. Yeah, and dads. Yeah, sure. Most, mostly what, what we've found in our experience has, has been that the dads weren't, were you mostly just completely missing and absent. You know, I really don't know their story much at all because 
if they if you knew who dad was he he wasn't around but we, we've but a handful of our a couple of our cases had some moms who did some really nasty stuff pretty nasty terrible abuse stuff that that probably leads back to some some mental health issues from what we could tell yeah. but those stories are really easy to look at at somebody just just let it, it eat into your soul a little bit and say how can you do that how could you do that to a kid it's very easy to be judgmental and, and yeah. that's and that's something that that we find can can really step into all those different circumstances it's really easy for us to to make those judgments about people and assume that these people are bad people and that that'll bleed over into cases where that may not be the case yeah for sure um like i know for my situation um when i decided to not parent my daughter and made an adoption plan you know and it was made public on social media like after the fact and things it was people said really nasty things and and I'm sitting there just in disbelief because I made, like, I chose her parents, right? Like, like I knew that I was not the best person to be her mom um, and her dad was not around and that I went out and I actively made good choices for my child, right? Like, and made decisions that would affect her life for the better. And then these people that, whether they knew me or not, would say nasty things like, and I'm like, wait a minute, like, I, I did a good thing for her. Like, I did good. Like, I, I'm proud of this because I know, like, I would have been a good mom. And I and I know those things, right? I, I love her dearly. Um, but I knew I wasn't the best mom. And um, I went out and I chose the best people I could find for her with what I wanted for her life. And that shouldn't be shameful or judged on. Like, that should almost, shouldn't be, like, rewarded either. But it should be um respected and honored and um acknowledged at the very least right like that there's a lot of people out there that parent that maybe shouldn't be parenting and then if you can recognize in yourself that you're you're making a better choice for your child like why is that a bad thing right Right. yeah there's definitely people out there that should not be parents but they are and they're screwing up every day you know Mm -hmm. but it's yeah it's tough and it's hard when you're good with kids right and people are like oh you're so good with kids though and you're like but that doesn't mean i'd be a good mom like i i don't um like it's not where i'm capable of like i know myself well enough to know that that would have not been the right choice for either of us um and for her and i didn't want to mess her up any more than you know i humanly could help i know we all mess our kids up when we parent but like <laughs> that's just part of being a parent right you make the best choices you can and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad but if i could make a really good one from the start she had a way better shot than me struggling through whatever choices i was always trying to make you know kind of thing so. well i'm curious um how old were you when when um, your daughter was born so i was 29 um so i was a lot okay. older than um like even the stereotypical so most people assume that women that have make adoption plans are like 16 year old teenagers. And that's really not the case. Um, most 16 to 20 year olds like are still at home with their parents and their parents help raise the kids until they're ready to parent fully. So they end up parenting more. So it's mostly women in their like mid twenties, um, that are in college or, you know, and they're just not ready to be moms yet, even though they know they want to be. Um, or there are a lot of them are moms already with multiple children and they just can't financially afford another child. And that's, I can't imagine like how difficult that decision would be. Um, but for me, I was 29. I knew I never wanted kids and I got pregnant on accident. And what are you going to do? Right? Like that's, that was my life. Like 
I was 29. I never wanted to be like, I'd been asking since I was 18 to get my tubes tied and no one would listen. You know, the doctors all told me I would change my mind and you change um, your mind. You're too young. You're going to want this. And yes. And, and I, and I got pregnant and I was like, what am I going to do? This is not anything that I know that I'm physically capable of, you know, like in the long term of another human's entire life. Like that's not a good choice. Um, so that's kind of where I was at 29 trying to figure it out. Um, so. Uh, I'm just curious because, you know, obviously our, our stories are entirely different, you know, mm-hmm. starting with the fact that I have a beard and so I'm probably not going to have a kid anyways. <laughs> but how, how did you know what, what part of your life made it so clear to you that, that you would not be a good mom? I just always knew like it's a, it's an internal um, intuitive thing, right? Like it just wasn't um, now that I'm like my daughter's eight now, so I'm able to articulate things a little differently. Like, um, I'm really self-driven. Um, the society likes the word selfish, but that's not, it's not a negative thing so much, but I'm very in my own head. I kind of navigate on my own path. Like I'm always, I I do best being self-employed. Um, I like to work when no one else is working, right? Like I work at four o'clock in the morning. I work at, you know, eight o'clock at night. That's not conducive parenting hours, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, you know, um, it's it was that like lifestyle like I like a lot of quiet I like plans like we were talking earlier before we started recording about how this quarantine stuff has rocked my world like I have no schedule right now and it's killing me and kids are very unpredictable and um so some of that stuff right like that spur of the moment kind of thing like that there's just no normal right there's no routine it's always just shifting and changing that stuff's really hard for me and I think those are things that always kind of steered me away but I don't have I don't have exactly a right answer. I just knew it was something I never wanted, right? Like that was, um, if I had to put it in one sentence, I'd say like I always wanted, because I work with kids, right? Like I've always wanted to work with lots of kids and I only had enough energy to do one or the other. Like I would either be all in with a mom or all in like working with lots of kids. And that's where, that's the most energy I had, right? Like if I had to kind of like pull it together into a cohesive thought, um, would be like there's only enough energy for me to either be an amazing mom or to have a career that works with lots of children and that was what i i wanted the career with lots of kids more than i wanted the parenting thing i think too um so now i, I know try to, when, yeah. it com- when it comes to um to having your your daughter adopted i'm i guarantee you i i don't have this personal experience but i'm certain there's there's plenty of people that have a lot of stigma about that oh, for sure. how, how did you handle that um, I just kind of had to handle it. At the time, I was I was coaching swimming, so I was pregnant on a pool deck the entire swim season. And there's kids around me that are swimming, and they're seeing me be pregnant and grow this baby. And so I couldn't I couldn't hide it, right? Like a lot of people I know kind of hid their pregnancy, um, and I couldn't, right? Like I, there's nothing I could do to hide it unless I didn't want to work for months. And um, I just had to learn how to embrace it and explain it and deal with it and um, kind of get a little bit of a tougher skin about it. Um, but having those conversations, even with the kids I was coaching, cause they wanted to throw me a baby shower and, um, they wanted to, you know, and all these things cause they care. And I, f- I remember talking to my board at a board meeting and saying, I have to tell them I'm not parenting her. Like I'm, I, they're asking me when that they can have a baby shower and it's not fair to these kids, right? Like to these kids, I can't lie to them. Like, I'm not gonna like, like, so we ended up sitting down and telling the kids and you know, I told the parents first and then, and then told the kids. And, um, you know, we had a couple people leave the program at the time because of it, which I don't understand 
what that like wow. I don't understand. Not yeah, really certain how that affects your ability to coach swimming. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> parenting and like I'm trying to well, make mean, a good that... decision for my child and you you think I'm a horrible like this is, yeah, whatever. But um that one that was the hardest one I think because it was in the moment. Like I that was one parent say that, that was like that would probably affect you emotionally quite a bit. I mean it, it would did. Be. It, yeah, I don't want like I don't want my my child around someone that would be so awful and I was like, What? Like how does that make sense? Like I'm I'm making a good decision for my child. Like that makes no sense. But then on the other hand, there were the parents on the team that were, I'm so glad that my child had the opportunity to know someone who made a different choice besides parent or abortion, right? Like they know now you're a resource. Now they know, you know, cause there were a lot of high school kids at the time. Like they know what, this is an option. They know that this is a choice that they can make if they're faced in this situation. They know they can come to you. Um, so it went both ways, but I didn't have like the, the answer was I just had to deal with it. Like, and I just had to handle it as it came. And, um, I know you said you deal with a lot of foster kids. What pushed you in the direction of foster kids? Because I mean, our story, obviously we've got a lot of kids in our story, foster kids. It's been something we've done for the last decade or better at this point, but what pushed you in that direction and made that seem like something that you felt was important in your life? Well, I don't do a lot with foster kids. Um, I have some kids that are foster kids or that have been foster to adopt that okay. do some lessons and stuff with me. Um, I just always knew that after making the decision not to parent, right, like, and then getting my tubes tied, that if I wanted children down the road, um, I would be a good foster parent. And, like, that would be a role that I would feel was much better than um, parenting, like, working with people that need the extra help, right? Like those kind of spaces for me, right? Working with my main primary job is working with kids with special needs um, and individuals with special needs and things like that. And like, it's always been working with those that maybe need a little extra help and a little. So that's, I think where that core passion lies. Um, I do have some kids now in swim lessons with me that have been foster to adopt um, and that like, they get lessons with me that are funded because of the past funds in our state, the post-adoption funds, and um, they have maybe mental health issues or things like that. And so then they get lessons with me that Job and Family Services covers, which is really cool. Um, that's amazing. That's a nice little tie-in. Yeah, I really like that a lot. It makes me feel good. And Yeah, that's um, really having... cool because a lot of states don't have funding for that. A lot of, you know, we in our state, there's not a whole lot of extra funds for, for kids to do extracurricular things that's all you know foster parents have to take care of that the state doesn't have the funds to be like okay you know we can sponsor this or that mm -hmm. um, yeah this so. one's um this is for after they're adopted but um if they go through a foster to adopt situation there's some funding there but um and it's limited right like but it's well, still kind of cool everything to have that. really is limited but yeah yeah but it but it's still interesting to see because then you get this this kid that maybe doesn't have that hand in the world Right. And that can't sit in a traditional swim lesson class and because of whatever mental health and their background. And then there's someone like me that just kind of has I, I live in that world of like, you know, a lot of my um, women, I facilitate retreats with our, our social workers and da, 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 da. so I understand a little bit about what they're going through. And so, like, I can just make the pool like a safe space for them to and we work one on one. So I can work with that kid where they are that day instead of, you know, like trying to make them fit a mold of what. Well, that and that's so important because whether or not whether or not you're dealing with foster kids or or somebody's bio kids, whatever situation, trauma is real. Yes, 
And, sure. you know, kids in foster care tend to have a little bit higher percentage of opportunity to have experienced some serious trauma. Sure. But even, you know, how many kids, you know, Amanda's one of them that that should have been a foster kid and had all the trauma of, of, of the, that life experience when they were young, but were never in the system. So trauma is a real thing. Um, sure. Is that something that you deal with in your training a whole lot with the kids? Um. Like working with the trauma side of it, well, working, or, yeah, learn, learning, teaching some kids how to overcome their fears that it's trauma based. Yeah, I think I think that's just part of naturally how I'm wired, right? Like I've had to learn about trauma because of my adoption, right? Like even though I don't ever really feel it was trauma, it was still trauma, right? And learning how to deal with those pieces myself, and reading and educating myself, and now I have tools to work with these kids, whether it's. Um, like even like with a near a child that maybe had a near drowning experience, whether it's foster care or not, right? There's still all this trauma around that. So like having to work through all those things and you just start start with one kid and you figure it out and you start the language you use, right? Like we can learn hard things or like coach keeps me safe. Um, I do a lot of that kind of talk where I say coach keeps me and then they'll say safe and then, they'll, and then I'll say even when I'm and they'll say scared. And then that like it kind of like we try, try to use those mantras over and over especially for the kids that are just overly anxious in the water. Awesome. Um, and I think that that works into the same stuff. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, I can learn hard things. Coach keeps me safe. Like, you know, coach keeps me safe when we learn new things, you know, kind of stuff like that. Um, That's awesome. And then they start building that confidence in the water. And then all of a sudden you start to see it on land. Um, that's kind of cool, too. So. Yeah, it's amazing how that works. It almost sounds like a piece of, um, uh, was it neurolinguistic programming, NLP? Are, are you familiar with that at all? I just kind of have a bunch of, like, so the way my brain works, I don't always remember the title of something, but I could give you all of the characteristics, right? Like, I, I might not remember your name, but I could tell you 14 things you told me about yourself today, and I can remember because of your face. Like, I'll be like, oh, that person, and I know I have all these things, and then I put connections <laughs> together um, in different ways. It's funny. I don't always remember the overarching title, right? Like, but I remember... Um, things and then I put things together um, I always tell people my brain looks like a Rubik's cube but it's constantly shuffling around and then I get a new you know a new line of information and it's a whole different set of information and now the whole cube has to get shuffled around again and so my cube just keeps getting bigger and bigger and the pieces keep getting smaller and um, but they keep making new patterns and connections and then they shuffle around and then it changes again you know and I start putting new things into place and um, all that kind of stuff. And just like pieces and parts from everything come together with what I do. That's that's awesome. Really cool. Now, yeah, really you, cool. you mentioned that, that your adoption is an open adoption. Correct. Now, that's something that, again, we don't have any real experience with. Most of our adoptions have some unsafe connections in the family. Mm -hmm. Most of it based around substance abuse and, uh, you know, people with some, some real addiction issues. And, you know, th there's some obvious reasons why you want to maybe protect some especially young kids from from bio parents who, who are addicted. It's, you know, they, they have their, their demons they have to work out first before they're a safe place. But it sounds like you've still been able to keep a, a real good relationship with your daughter over, over the last eight years. Yeah, it's been good. Um, they used to live in Cleveland. So I live in Youngstown, Ohio. So Cleveland's about an hour and a half away. So when we first, when I was first pregnant, they lived in Cleveland. Um, so we were able to build, um, now me being 29, it was a little easier to build a relationship with someone that's about my age range, right? Um, her parents are a year, I think a year and two years older than me. Um, so we're about the same age. So that made things a little easier from the get-go, right? It wasn't like a child or a 20-something with a 30-something, like trying to 
um, we have similar parents, like Abby's parents, parents, like all of our grandparents have some similar stuff, right? Societally wise, we're all about the same kind of stuff. So it made it easy to build a relationship with her parents. And then when she was born, they lived here for about two more years. So they were around a lot or like I could stop by whenever I wanted or they would come to some family things and stuff like that um, because we were also like geographically close. Um, and then they moved to Colorado. Um, and that was actually right when we started our retreats for the first time was when I found out they were moving to Colorado. Um, and then um, that's actually been good because it's given me space to like not always have to be Caroline birth mom. Like I get to be a birth mom, like I'm always a birth mom, but it didn't, it wasn't like always in my face. Like anytime I went to Cleveland, I should go see her like, but I was there for work or something, you know, like I, it gave me, it gives me an opportunity to be like completely focused on her when I go to Colorado um, and then continue to have a relationship off of an in-person visit. Um, but it also gives me space to like grow and be myself outside of adoption because it's not all of me. It's part of me. It'll always be part of me, but it's not all of me. Um, but yeah, so she's, she's fantastic. She's, she's eight. She's funny. She's smart. Um, she's a reader. We both read a lot, um, a lot. Um, so I, I get to send her books in the mail all the time and that's, that's kind of fun or pass on my old books to her. Um, and she gets excited. I was just FaceTiming with her the other day and she got the two books in the mail like the day I, um, they just happened to show up while we were FaceTiming. I don't, it wasn't planned. Um, and she was so excited to like get books in the mail and, um, and it's kind of cool too. Cause she knows she's adopted, right? Like it's normal. That conversation yeah. is just, just normal for her. And, um, I got, her mom sent me a picture the other day. She'd written a, something for school where she was talking about how she has two moms and how much her, um, she knows how much I love her because of the things we say and how I'm so smart. Cause I always answer all her questions. <laughs> <laughs> I work really hard to convince my children. I'm a genius and I know all the answers. <laughs> yeah. I don't even try to pretend like I'm a genius. And she just, um, and then, um, what else did she say? Oh, cause she said, um, that she was special cause she was the only child that I ever had. And like, that I was ever going to have. And so that was extra special for her. So it's kind of sweet um, seeing her write. Those are her words, right? Like we've been very careful to not, we give her terminology, but we let her develop her own language through it um, and let her, like I was never um, like, now like Lauren, my friend Lauren's situation, she's mama Lauren and I'm not, I'm just Caroline. Like not just, but we never gave her a name or a term. It was just Caroline and then eventually you know, it was Caroline Gruen, you grew in Caroline's belly and then Caroline's your birth mom. And now she's come up with her own language surrounding it. And that's, um, was something that we all wanted for her was to have her be able to define it herself, um, and navigate it on her own and, um, be able to create that for herself. And that's, I'm glad, you know, for that. So, um, I always figured I'd come up with some weird nickname, like she wouldn't be able to say my name or something and I'd, you know, be like Kiki or something weird, but it never happened. I've just always been Caroline or Carrie and, um, you know, that's it. And it's okay. Like I didn't, I didn't want aunt was wrong, you know, like birth mom felt sterile. Um, I didn't want the title mama or mommy. Like that was weird to me. Um, so we just kind of let it be and well, that's how it is. And it's, it's, you know, good. it's hers. Exactly. And with foster kids who come through our house, you know, well, we have a brand new placement who's only been here. What a day and a half. Um, today would be day three. Day, okay. I lose track, <laughs> but <laughs> but we found that with these kids, a lot of times, like you can call me, I'm my name is Jason. I can be Mr. Palmer. I can be Dad. I can be Daddy. And then we usually throw one in there that Monkey. because 
because I tried to be a smart aleck to my wife once, whose name is Amanda, and I tried to get my nieces to call her Aunt Meanie. And before they left the house, she was still Aunt Amanda, and I was suddenly Unky Monkey. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so Monkey is another one that, that's been thrown at me. And we, we hand them a handful of terms because, you know, these kids are, you know, in our situation, these kids are stepping into a totally strange situation. Sure. They don't know yeah, anything. Absolutely. So we try and just kind of shotgun, hey, here's a handful of things call me whatever i don't i don't really care that much i am not as tied up on the you have to show me respect and i'm mr palmer i, I was raised that way and in a lot of situations it's appropriate to call somebody mr or mrs you know your 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 school teacher yeah you probably shouldn't call her by her first name that's not going to go over well but in this set in this setting you know we we tend to let kids pick their name that they use and and ironically usually by you know day two or three at least by then amanda has become mom and usually a day or two later i become dad and uh with, with quite a few of them it was you know you were just called dad because we have a lot of kids in the house and that's what they hear me called like it's just natural and mom yeah. and dad tends to be the name that people give to the person who put food in front of them that's really what yeah. it means i think in that young brain and biological parents oftentimes get the name you know Daddy Chris, Daddy John, whatever, and and as the case progresses, you know, we eventually, if they're going back home, we really work to kind of change change that around to where I become Daddy Jason, and then Dad becomes Dad again, and just mm-hmm. to, to give them that peace so that they can feel comfortable in it. But it's not something that we ever felt was terribly important to uh, to give them a name they have to use, but rather to right. allow them to just like you said, make have their own verbiage that they use. It's it's their name, so they don't feel uncomfortable like they're being forced into something right well and i think it, it gives ownership right and so when you give kids ownership of a situation and like you put that trust into that because that's what you're saying essentially is like you trust them to decide what your name should be and you're you're showing that mutual respect to them and i think that just works better in the long run for everybody um you know like the kind of thing like you just give them trust and, and love and then they'll feel that that you trust them and that you, you care for them um, and then that becomes their language because they, you know, that's what they, they embrace. And then that, that becomes their truth and their truth is what's most important, right? Like getting them to trust you and let them care for you and help, let you help them. Um, and so you have to give them that power essentially to define some of the things, right? Especially if they've never been able to find anything in their whole lives, right? If you give them the opportunity to find some things, now they have, they feel power and like not in a bad way power, but like empowered to like take control of things and maybe, you know, grow from there. Like, oh, I can, I can help this. This situation's okay. This situation's safe. Like they give me, right? Especially if they've never had any power oh, or yeah. control over anything. Now they have some control and power. I'm like, oh, I feel safe. Okay. And ultimately that's kind of our goal is to, you know, with our kids, if you're, if you live here full time or if you're, you know, a kid who's visiting for a while, our goal is to, to find a way to push you along the path where we can launch you out into the world as a good human who can go out and, and make a change in the world. And that starts with believing that you're empowered to make a change. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And you just have to have that, you know, and you have to have people behind you that are saying it's okay to make that change. It's okay to be different. It's okay to have your own language. It's your truth. Um, and not everybody gets that if they haven't had trauma, you know, around or experienced it, that that's okay. It's okay if the words aren't quite right or you know it's their words it's what's important it's the ownership of that i just had that conversation the other day with somebody about the importance of telling your truth Mm -hmm. of being willing to stand up and tell your truth because yours is so uniquely your truth my story is so completely different than than anyone else's 
And I've, I've found that through that, I can really connect with other people and find someone who with I, whom I can connect and, and communicate and they'll learn something from me and I'll learn something from them as opposed to your, your typical human interaction, which sounds like, hi, how are you? I'm fine. You, I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. And that's so superficial and, and doesn't make a difference in, in the world anywhere. No, it doesn't. And that's, um, you know, when I first started facilitating retreats, um, I never talked about how I didn't want to be a mom, right? Like I just left that out because I would see all of these women like wishing dearly that they were in a space where they could be a mom. And I was like, no, that was pretty good. Like I, I, like I had two choices, like I could either abort or make an adoption plan. Like parenting wasn't really like it was at first, right? Like I was like, okay, well I'm just going to parent. And then I was like, uh, uh, like that's not what, that's not good. Um, and so once like I made the decision, right? Like, so I didn't used to tell people that because I was almost ashamed of it because I didn't like, I miss my daughter, right? Like I love my daughter. I miss her. We have a wonderful relationship, but I know that making adoption plan was the best choice for both of us. And um, like at my core, I know that, but these other women just would be so devastated and upset. And I I can't tell them that like, like this has been one of the best decisions I've ever made. You know, like that feels awful and icky. And then the one day I finally said it. And um, like when we were doing, we share our stories on the first night and um, we write notes to each other at the end of retreat that you get to take home. So like everybody writes a, a small, like on a note card to somebody else. And so I, like, because I facilitate retreats, I have a giant stack of cards. Um, but the one girl's like, I'm so glad you said that because I thought I was the only one. And I realized by me holding that back, like all those other women that I had interacted with for those couple of years that I never said that, you know, like I didn't want to be a mom, that um, I was withholding the opportunity for them to connect with me Right. Like for them to realize they weren't the only one because I was feeling like I was the only one. So like until I said, I, I, this was my, this was part of my core decision. They didn't have the ability to say me too. Right. Like I'm not the only one. So now there's that the group of us that like, we just connect in a different way because we never wanted to be moms and, you know, we got pregnant, we, even though, even though we were preventing it in every way possible. So, you know, it's just, part of it right you got your truth and you have to speak it fully um but you also have to choose when you speak it fully too (laughs) so yeah um, you know you have to know your audience and everything else and um you know it took a long time for me to be able to say those things and be able to be like completely okay with the fact that like I didn't want to be a mom you know and you know say that like and really be frustrated with the system because that you know all these doctors said I couldn't get my tubes tied when I wanted them tied and that kind of stuff. Huh. Well, and I tough. know, you know, and I know that you said that, you know, you knew that you didn't want to be a mom. And so you, you chose your plan, which is awesome. Some people don't feel like they have that choice, but even though you knew you didn't want to be a mom and, and you made that plan, did you still experience, you know, some grief and some loss oh, all the time? I mean, like I can't visit her. Like I usually visit this time of year and I have to cancel my visit because of the coronavirus and I've been a blubbering mess about it for, and I'm, I'm a lot like your husband where I don't like feelings and emotions, right? Like I like logic. <laughs> so when they're like exploding inside of me, like, I'm like, what are these things? Like, you know, like what is going on? Like, go away. Like, um, and I'm uh, trying to work on embracing those, those sucky feelings too. But like, I, I still have them. Like I miss her, you know, um, I, I definitely love her and care about her and try to do things that good moms do right like if I say I'm going to call I make sure I call you know I show up when I say I'm going to show up and um make sure I'm try I try to make sure I'm connecting with her 
um, to the best of my ability. Um, but it's still still hard. You know, I leave, I cry every time I leave for a couple days. Um, I even when I'm there, you know, I have to take breaks and like go find some space by myself because it's a lot. Um, right. You know, when I first had her, I remember being like the whole time I was pregnant, I was like, I can't wait to get this thing out of me, right? Like, so I can go back to myself. <laughs> and and then <laughs> it turns out like, oh, this thing changes you, right? Like, and like realizing that was like the first piece of all of this. Um, and then realizing like, oh, like there is grief and there is loss in this. Like, even though I didn't want to be a mom, that doesn't mean that biologically my emotions didn't, right? Like, because if I had, I didn't want her to have a life at all, like there wouldn't have been anything, right? Like we still bonded. She was inside of me. Like we, right. um, you know, I fed her in the hospital. Um, we were, you know, we were there. I visited a lot. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely I feel mine is different because of the not wanting to be a mom, but it doesn't mean I don't still have those feelings. Like I'm not heartless. Um, And I, I didn't, you know, I still experienced grief and loss through it and it hits at weird times. You know, Um, I've never had a problem on her birthday and this year was hard and I don't know why, you know, it was before all this stuff hit. So it's not even that Um, this was your, this was a hard year. Like it was just kind of, I don't know. I think it's eight for me. Like most people say they get like the fives, the tens, the fifteens are hard. And I think for me, eight is when I really start to remember my childhood and like, and I see her, a lot of her childhood paralleling things in my childhood and just school. And, and so like, I, I'm starting to feel like I'm missing things where I didn't feel like I was missing first steps and stuff like that. Like now I'm starting to feel like I'm missing her life a little bit more because these are the things I remember. And, um, but that's where I think the openness is good because, you know, she's not, her brain is wired very differently than a lot of her family. And so she gets to see that her brain is like my brain, right? Like that love of reading um, right. and things like that. And I think that makes the grief and the, the ucky feelings worth it when I see those things. And she gets to see that that's where she comes from, you know, and that helps balance out those key feelings because most of the time it's okay but it sucks sometimes well i just i think it's important for people to realize that there is grief and there is loss because so many people you know we say that you know your story is not our story which is you know it's true everybody's story is different but just from listening to people and hearing people talk you know a lot of people feel well you chose this you Mm -hmm. chose this plan this was your choice and so you know why would you be sad why would you grieve oh would yeah you, yes you know and I it doesn't mean it doesn't like suck right <laughs> you know or have hard fear. moments or yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's just like parenting right like you chose to be a parent it doesn't mean it doesn't it's not hard some days and full of you know like it works both ways it's just um but um yeah i think a lot of times too for people um it's easier to pass judgment than to learn right? Like to sit in the space is really uncomfortable for them. So they don't want to hear about the grief and the trauma and how hard it really can be some days um, because that stuff's hard to hear. And then when you force them to hear it, it's uncomfortable for them and they don't always like that. And that's where that like what you chose this comes from, right? It's that that let's put up a wall so we don't have to talk about the hard things. Yeah, we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to deal with it. You know, we could just push this aside and and move on to the next Mm -hmm. thing. You know, but I I do think it's really important and it, you know, it's very important to validate those feelings because they're real. They are definitely real. Yeah. And even for, 
Uh, a lodge of people, right? Like we still have feelings. Absolutely. <laughs> we, you know, um, not a robot. Sometimes <laughs> more intense, I think, because like when they do creep outside of your logic, like they're like, bam, and they're in your face and you're, you're like, what are these things? And what is going on? And your whole world is rocked because you're not used to living in that world of feelings all the time. And then I had a friend intense. of mine who explained it to me this way. He said, he said, I think you have deeper, stronger feelings than most. You just don't choose to allow them out for other people to experience very often. And that made a lot of sense to me. But I, I like had the, multiple people tell me that. <laughs> I, I really like the line that you said earlier. It's easier to pass judgment than it is to learn. Yeah. And that's, man, that's that says a whole lot about, you know, the, the, the experience that you're talking about, I think, because it's super easy. To say, well, there's something wrong with you because you're not like me. Instead mm-hmm. of understanding that you're not like me in a lot of ways, you know. If you looked yeah, in your pantry, yeah, if you looked in your pantry, you probably have a different set of foods in it than we do. You mm-hmm. probably have a different wardrobe than we wear. You have a lot of things in your life. You, you like different music. You like different movies. And we're wired differently. And that's all okay. And I think that the way that you've been able to to hold that down within the open adoption be able to, to have that good relationship with with your daughter's adoptive parents, with your with your daughter, with the people around you, and and just open that up for people to see. That's that's really just showing your ability to be vulnerable around other people. That and, um, my adoption is like the first place I was really truly vulnerable, right? Like that I and I let like I have to trust her parents to do the best job they can, right? Like even if. I maybe don't like something they do or whatever. Like it's not my decision. And I don't, I don't, I hope I don't show them those things. Like there's not very many things very ever that I don't agree with, but um, like, you know, I hope if I'm like, Ooh, I don't like that. Like it doesn't show on my face. Right. Because I do trust them to raise her. And if we've had to have hard conversations, we've been able to do them face to face and um, you know, and and we just fix the relationship from there. And um, I think that says a lot for, our trust in each other, right? In that relationship we built while I was pregnant, that we can have those hard conversations. Um, they also got pregnant right after adopting Abby. So at one point, there were two kids under the age of one in their house. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. It was only like for a month, but it was pretty still crazy. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um, and so, what, um, when, when we're talking, her parents and I are talking, like a lot of times, um, they, uh, Abby's adopted parents parents right so biological grandparents of abby's parents will be visiting and they'll see oh you do that to the, her sister right like a lot like that looks just like daddy or mommy looked just like that when she was little so like if we didn't have this openness like it wouldn't be like she'd be like well what about me like why don't i do that thing like mommy or daddy and like instead that's like you do that like caroline you know and that's like caroline and like that facial expression is like the same one you and caroline both make and so um she's just got that opportunity to, I mean, I couldn't have picked better parents in, in all honesty. Like, um, I realize how like lucky I am every day. What like, did that have... process look like? You know, cause a lot of people don't know anything <laughs> yeah, about sure. that. So for me, it was very, um, um, so we were talking earlier before we started recording about personalities and things. And uh, my Myers Briggs is a INTJ. So I'm introverted, intuitive thinking and, judging not judgmental but like judging in a sense of looking at all sides of a story before making a decision um and so i did a lot of intuitive like looking back um a lot of the decisions i made were very intuitive and that's probably one of the first times i really started trusting my gut and learning that my gut was not wrong um and i remember 
like calling um and I don't I don't like to say the names of the bad agencies right but like saying like I want an open adoption they're like well you're this horrible person you can't have an adopt open adoption like that's just wrong it's a sin and I'm like no click you know um found the adoption agency I work with now with retreats um caring for kids in Cuyahoga Falls and um I remember calling I remember sitting I was teaching GED classes at the time I was like in my office and I was like repeatedly calling this agency like is this social worker in yet is this social worker in yet like is she in yet because I just like what I was reading about them on the internet and like that was like what I needed right like I needed that person and then a person her her name was Abby too so that's kind of <laughs> tricky <laughs> but so I remember her calling me and me just being like oh my goodness like I can talk to somebody about this like and then meeting with them um and then I remember the very first day we met at Zoop and we were in like Solon and uh uh, like she's like hands me this paperwork and she's like okay well like this is where you like fill out what you want about parents like you can take it home and think about it. I was like I'm good like I'd already like like I knew exactly what I was looking for by the time I made like by the time I got there and I remember just filling out this paperwork very like I knew I was very sure of where I wanted what I wanted for her um, it was all things that I would have wanted had I been the right parent right but like I didn't have to think about it like I knew and I didn't care if they were gay or straight or what kind of money they made it was about like is there going to be music in the house like will you take them swimming like are you going to encourage learning like very different kinds of things um and then I got my books and I remember being really excited to get my books and I sat there with post-its and like ranked them and um uh Abby's adoptive parents had the number one post-it and I remember messaging my social worker and saying do they live in the area because I wanted at the time like the quick, easy visits of not, not that easy, but the drop in, I'm here, I'm in Cleveland, let's have dinner, you know, kind of thing. Um, kind of like extended family. And, um, and she was like, yeah, they live here. And so we met them and that was it. Like, it was like a perfect first date. Like we left macaroni grill and like the three of us went over to Starbucks and like, I looked up and they were like, Starbucks was closed. And so it was like, closing down the bar right but like like, like <laughs> at starbucks if you're pregnant <laughs> like, i swam in my alumni college meet the same weekend like i was like oh boy it was like a whole bunch of stuff um but like it was just and it was them like i just knew intuitively that that was the right people um and i i hear that over and over with birth moms that when they find that per- couple they just know um and that's that's how it is um you just know just like you know when you find your find your you know your person in the world you just know um so for me it was very like it wasn't even methodical it just kind of snowballed right like it just kept building and it was just there and I met them the day I found out she was a girl and I remember thinking like oh thank goodness I'm making an adoption plan with a girl because I couldn't like I don't know how I would parent someone like me right like oh boy (laughs) right I was like um and now I'm like oh she's so she's so much like me but um I don't know. So for me, it was just very, you know, very, um, like I knew what I wanted and I just, they just happened to have those things and I didn't have to really search. You know, I geek out on the science stuff every now and then. And when you talk about that (laughs) gut feeling, you know, there's actually some science behind that now, you know, the, the gut is, is what produces all the chemicals that, that your brain needs, or at least a high percentage of them. And the, yeah. uh, the vagus nerve runs right down in and, and connects into your gut, into your intestines where, where the dopamine and serotonin and I'll get some of this wrong. So don't don't take me to it's science okay. class. But, you know, a lot of those a lot of those chemicals are produced there. So when we have that gut feeling, 
it's not just some weird random thing that, you know, it doesn't make sense if you don't know it. Everybody assumes that all of your brain is somewhere, you know, between your, your eyebrows and and just behind your ears. But your nervous system, the whole thing is a piece of it. So when you have that gut feeling, that's part of, of your thinking brain actually creating chemicals in your body saying, hey, this feels real. And that's why yeah, we learn to feels- trust our gut. Right. That's this feels real. This feels right. This feels truthful. Right. Like that. Like you don't have that. Um, it took a long time for me to learn that that was the right that that feeling of knowing. Right. Like that. Just I just knew is the right. Like it's almost like a balance of chemicals. Right. So if you want to look at it that way, like things just balance. But that whole like you just know. Right. Like I think it's that like calm. If you think about like chemicals and everything's perfectly balanced, it's just. Right. It's that calm water for me. I'm curious. Do you have a good relationship with your parents? Yeah, for the most part. What were their feelings when you told them that that you were planning on on adopting your daughter? Uh, My dad's always been really supportive in general. Um, He's like, I don't know how anybody could say anything bad about your adoption plan. Like it worked out great. Like you made a good choice. Like you made a thoughtful decision. You made very grown up logical decisions. Um, I know it's been a lot harder for my mom. Um, but my mom, like her role in life is caretaker. So um, I really think that she would have embraced um, getting like parenting her. But they were in their like early 60s, like late 50s. Like I was like, I can't, like, you'd have to work till you're 80. Like I'm not going to do that to you guys, right? Like I'm almost 30, like, like kind of thing. Um, they still have a relationship. They, they um, video chat and things like that. So that's kind of cool. So Abby still gets to know them and things like that too. Um, I know my dad went out there skiing a couple years ago and they like all went to lunch or whatever together. And that was kind of cool. So, um, my mom hasn't been out to visit in a few years, but they FaceTime. They probably actually FaceTime with them more than I do because they're retired. So um, (laughs) it's just different. Um, but, um, yeah. So, and then my grandma still likes to see pictures and things of her and, um, stuff like that. And sometimes I'll be at my grandma's and we'll FaceTime just so grandma can see her for a second. Abby doesn't really know who she is. Um, she knows she gets cards from her in the mail, but she doesn't really have it. Yeah. You know, like it's this, this really old lady on the video chat, like <laughs> randomly once in a while, but doesn't really grasp it. You know, she knows it's like my grandma and my mom's mom. So like she knows, but I don't think she really like, it's just not the embrace like it is with all of the rest of us. But yeah, that's yeah. pretty amazing though. It sounds like your family's pretty supportive and I know that's not always the case. So yeah, they were, you know, it was hard in the plan, you know, in the moments of it. Um, especially with me and my mom, but, um, we, we both have very different, um, views on life and how things should work. And that's not, the adoption plan is not in its own bubble with that, with my mom, right? Like that's just me and my mom. We very operate very differently. So you take the adoption out of it and it's just part of our relationship. We just have very different views and, um, I've very much marched the seat of me, you know, the beat of my own drum and she's more you know, aligned with other things. And it just, so that, that doesn't, it's not exclusive of our adoption, my adoption plan, like to have that, um, I don't know how, like ripples and things like that in there, you know, that's just part of our relationship in general. It's not that we don't love each other. It's just, sometimes it's a little abrasive, you know, where my dad and I tend to be more, he's much more logical. So we tend to get that, that part of things is just works easier for us because we, we have that same like wavelength of, understanding so that's just for my brother and my mom are both um more of the emotional side of things so they tend to 
get each other a little bit more, right? Theirs is a little less abrasive. So that's yeah. just, it's just relationships. It's not necessarily adoption related. Yeah. Well, yeah. one question I always like to ask everybody who sure. comes on here is what is, what, what is a piece of wisdom that you can give to the listeners that, that you specifically have learned through your experience? Mm. <laughs> Do you have a time for a book? Because <laughs> uh, one thing for listeners. Repeat your question one more time. What is one piece of wisdom that you could give to the listeners that, that you specifically have learned through your experience? Okay, so I'll use the birth mom lens since I live the birth mom side. Um, that birth moms in general are not bad people. Um, and most of us, even the women that I know that struggle with addiction, um, are trying to make good decisions as parents for their children. Whether parenting looks like three days of, you know, 78 hours of I'm legally your mom and no, I'm not. Or whether it's, you know, I'm struggling with addiction and I don't want to lose you, but I can't and I don't have a choice, you know, six years down the road. Um, that really everybody's doing the best they can as parents and that um, 90% of the time we're just trying to do the best they can and that we're not bad people at our core we're doing what we can to, to survive and you know that kind of thing um and in that moment and so like we're real humans too i guess is the like we have feelings and once especially like once a child's adopted it doesn't mean that that birth mom is insignificant you know or you know even if removed from um in a cps situation even temporary right like that birth mom is still a human that has feelings and so like remembering that we're people and like it doesn't end once that child's removed, like for us, that, that there's still feelings and ties and emotions and whether you see your child or not, like they still care, right? The women that I know that haven't seen their kids in 30 years or 40 years still care deeply for their children. They're not never on their mind. Um, and I think that that part in our society is missing a lot. Like there's not a lot of looking back at the birth mom, right? Like it's very child centered as it should be, but there's still a birth mom and a birth father behind the scenes that has feelings and we often get overlooked. Um, and I think it's cause it's hard and nobody wants to think about how we feel. Um, but we're still human and we're still here and we still matter and we still matter to your children because whether it's good or bad stuff from our past, like those are your kids. Um, we talk about puzzle pieces, right? Those are your kids puzzle pieces. And so, you need to have those puzzle pieces for your child so that they can be their whole person. So whatever that has to look like for your situation, like making sure you keep those birth parents puzzle pieces for your child and accessible and whatever safe, right? Cause foster is different with that part. Um, keeping those puzzle pieces and having those available for your child and age appropriate terms, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, absolutely. Because it is important for their story too. You know, they want to know where they come from, why they make this facial expression, you know, why their hair is this color. And, you know, that's, that's part of their story. That's part of their puzzle, you know, and whether it's foster adoption, you know, mm -hmm. everybody wants to know where they come from. And my they want to know best, those pieces. My best friend growing up was adopted, right? And it was a closed adoption and they've since you are there in reunion. Um, and I actually know her birth mom now because of the work I do. Um, which is really cool to like, and I, and like another mom, right? So I have like all three pieces and I've, you know, she's been my friend since we were in third grade and 
it wasn't until she found her birth mom or her birth mom found her that she got puzzle pieces about her medical history and then all the things the things they were struggling to figure out right like so even though it was just medical history puzzle pieces for her fell into place and now she is able to get answers for her medical stuff and then now she can have a relationship with her birth mom too but like now there's more puzzle pieces right but things that nobody knew because you know 30 years ago you didn't get medical history so even in a closed adoption so it was just you know like even just that part of it right like i saw those puzzle pieces fall into place for my friend and that was huge and if anything showed me more of like making sure i was available for my own daughter for her puzzle pieces well yeah because everybody i shouldn't say everybody but i i would say most people they want to know you know the whys and the whats and the who's and the hows yeah. and even the bad stuff, you know, right? You need yeah, to know. Absolutely. Like you you, you want to know the good and the bad because that that puts your whole piece, to, your your whole puzzle together. Like especially when you're growing up and as a teenager and you're trying to find yourself, and you know we've found on our side that's such an important thing. And when you don't have those answers to give, you know when you're like I. You know, I, I really don't know, sweetheart. Yeah, we've you know, really it's... been fortunate. You know, two of our kids th- that were adopted, they're bio-siblings, and um, we're in a small town, and their their dad was, was murdered when they were very young. And as it turns out, um, the uh, our, our son, he has a friend in school, and his dad was best friends all growing up throughout the years with our son's bio-dad. And so there's all kinds of pieces that he can get from him. And, and they're very, you know, he's very closely connected with, with, um, with this kid's dad. His, his name is Duke and Duke is a, is a sports guy. You know, he played sports with, with our kid's dad and he, he coaches some of their sports and, and he can look and say, yeah, you know, he's, you're a lot like him. You're, you're short, you're ridiculously fast and you can't catch a football to save your life. You know, your dad was just like that, you know, you hand him the ball and let him run. That's great. But throw it to him and, and it'll bounce off of his hands. You know, yeah, they both played basketball and and he, neither one of them really liked basketball nearly as much as football. And But he has all those pieces to go, OK, right. this is a piece of my history. This is a part of who I who my dad was, who I am. And it gives him that that can that knowledge of yeah i'm like somebody in the past and and understanding your history is i mean we have entire companies you know 23 and me and or yeah 23 and me is one and, and uh what's the other one um ancestry there you go ancestry.com yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the other big ones and an entire industry is built around learning who you're who you came from yep and, and knowing yep. that you know my brother did um my brother did one of them. I did the other one, but he said he traced, you know, our, our, some of our family's history all the way back to where they came over and, and came into the U S through Ellis Island and all that. And he had all kinds of different interesting pieces and parts that, that explain a lot of, you know, part of like what I look like, because yeah. I have, I have two other siblings that look very similar to me. My, my brother is, he's a younger, thinner version of me. And then my younger sister, she's, she's younger thinner and much more attractive uh, thank god for her she doesn't have near the beard that i do but 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 you know our older sister is much wider she's a much fairer complexion 
and, and to look at it, we look like, huh, what happened here? But, you know, to be able to, to put all those pieces together and go, okay, there might be some of this in our background and the DNA just turned because I'm kind of ambiguously brown. Whereas my sister is very, you know, my older sister is, is much fairer. And we look at that and you can, can kind of put the pieces together and say, okay, well, this has something to do with our heritage here, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe we have a little bit of, you know, I think it was the Iberian Pen- Peninsula, which is pieces of, you know, a little piece of some, maybe some Spanish history somewhere way back in our background, but things that we never knew, you know, my grandparents never said anything about, about that. They, they hadn't, you know, they probably hadn't heard it because it, it was so many generations ago, but owning that piece of who I am. It's nice to be able to, to answer the question when people go, well, well, what are you anyways? I've been asked that question a lot over my year, over the years, and I've never been able to answer it until things like Ancestry and 23andMe came around. And you can go, okay, sure. now I know a piece of who I am. That's that's bigger than I thought it was to be able to say, I know that piece of who I am. And Yeah, it's really kind of neat that science-wise, right? That's a science geek that we can figure that out and see oh, where yeah. we came from, really. And um, how much more important are all the pieces of of who I am as far as who my parents are and, and the stories that I come from and mm-hmm. why I like these different weird things. And, and, and that's just, it's all those pieces and parts that, that you have the opportunity to help, help your daughter put together that a lot of kids don't have that, that, that ability. Yeah. I wish all kids could have that ability. Um, I wish enough adoptive parents were um, secure enough in their own stuff to let that openness exists like I have with my daughter because I also recognize that that comes with a lot of trust and security and Abby's parents to let us have that type of relationship you know where where she can Skype me whenever she wants and we can talk for 30 minutes and nobody's like looking over her shoulder to see what we're talking about right like it's always been yeah, okay because some people are are threatened would be threatened by that you know they would yes. be threatened by birth mom or birth dad well, Right. Or even the fact that she wrote this Valentine's Day thing about how she has two moms and her her first mom, who she calls her Brooke, her first mom or whatever language she uses, like that's her like mom, mom, you know, and um, like she's this. And then the rest of it was all about me. And like for her to not be upset by that and to share that with me. Right. Like I might I would have never even known that existed, that writing. Um, but to share that with me and to to let me have that like piece of my daughter too, right? Like she's giving me pieces of my daughter um, so that my puzzle is, is building as well. And I have that, you know, part of my puzzle that can grow and put together and uh, very grateful and thankful for those parts of it too. Um, you know, last time, last visit, I said, why don't I ever, like, does she talk about that she's adopted at school? She said, yeah. And I said, why don't I go read stories or something to the kids at school? Like, she's like, I never even thought of that, right? But it wasn't until I was leaving. And I said, well, next time maybe I'll come and like, I can meet her friends and classmates. Like we never even have that, like never even occurred to me that like it, the visit could extend outside of just our little like unit, you know, like, and I could right. meet her friends and da, 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 da. like, I'm okay with that. Like it doesn't bother me. Um, and that, you know, if she's proud of me and wants to share me, then that's okay. She could say no. Right. Like she's like, no, I don't want you to come to school. I'm like, okay. But like, if she did, that'd be okay too. Um, and so well, don't be surprised if, if uh, a kid says, I don't want you to meet my friends at school, because that's yes. something they all say eventually. At eight, you probably still have a good chance, but yeah, it, give right. it a well, few yeah, years. Yeah, I feel like she's eight. I think I'm still, still good. Like, 12, yeah. 13? Yeah. But, then it's like, uh, um, really, Mom? Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's the whole... Um, I have a friend whose daughter just turned 18, and she was talking about, like, the power shifts. And I said, I think that happens even without... Um, it's a closed adoption. 
I said, I, I think that that power shift happens whether you have a, an adoption or not. Like I think back to when you were 18 and your power shift, right? You turn 18 and you're an adult, like, and you're still living with your parents and it's a hard <laughs> place to navigate, right? Like, like we have a 19 year old. Yes. We, we yeah, know exactly or what not, you're Like about. there's a power shift. Yeah. So, um, it's just not adoption related. Sometimes I think too, um, when we're talking about like the advice, like take the adoption lens off sometimes for people, like it's a relationship. Um, it's just another relationship. Like if you can remove that adoption piece out of it and look at it as another relationship with your, you know, like, would your friend be able to do this with, you know, obviously safety stuff first, but like, is your friend able to share pictures of the child on social media? Then it shouldn't matter so much if the birth mom parents are, you know, sharing, obviously if there's safety and drugs and whatever for protection purposes, but those type of things, right? Like, like if you can think of it as another relationship instead of a, adoption relationship it becomes a lot less scary i think um and just makes it a little easier to navigate absolutely it's hard it's hard sometimes right to take that piece of like those like you know adoption goggles off and be like oh wait this is normal it just looks different because i have it's from an adoption point of view or a foster care point of view but it's still similar to what this is age appropriate this is you know kind of thing absolutely Mm -hmm. You know, is there something that you want people to know that you think that, you know, they just don't get or? I just know, I guess, like, if I had to say one thing, like, I never grew up, like, thinking I was going to be a birth mom, right? And have this adoption plan be such a piece of my life. And um, especially never, never even imagined that it would turn into this work I do. But, like, because of those decisions, I have... Um. I don't even like to use the word tribe anymore because it gets some PC issues, but I have a tribe of women that get it and that like fully accept me for who I am. Like in that moment, um, like they've seen me coming out of an abusive relationship. They've seen me in my, when I'm thriving. Um, and they are some of the best women I've ever met. And like, they, they love me and care for me because of my otherness and like not in spite of my otherness, if that makes sense. Like, so for me, um, like I've always said the water is where I belong, right? That's where I belong. But then this group of women that I know now because of this thing that happened to me that I made the best choice I can, like they're my belonging, right? They, they're the place that I fit unapologetically. I never have to apologize for me or how I'm wired or um, those kind of things. And that's a really special space to be in and to have and to have found. And didn't even know I was missing it until like, I remember like looking around the one last birth mom retreat and I was like, wow, I never have to fake a thing here. Like I don't have to pretend to be um, like, if I'm cranky, it's okay. And if I'm not cranky, it's okay. And I don't ever have to apologize for my behavior that maybe comes off a little not societally normal because of how I'm wired or whatever. And it's just kind of a, a neat space to have. And um, that's awesome. I hope other if there's other birth moms out there like listening to this that whether it's a you know a choice to have an adoption planner was not that like we would welcome them in our space because that the world needs more of that. Um, yeah, how would they find you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we um, our retreats are through um, caring for kids. So we call them caring for birth mothers. So right now it's on the caring for kids website. Um, which I'll send you guys a link for that. Okay. Um, we'll make sure to put then, that in the show notes. Yeah. In the show notes. Um, and then, um, we have, um, 
we have a public Facebook group um, caring for birth mothers that Lauren um, that I mentioned before runs mostly she admins um, <clears throat> and then that's a good place to find us too and it's a really kind space because a lot of the adoption spaces for birth moms are not always kind and not that you can't post negative things but it's very um, the tone is is a very welcoming tone um, and kind and then um, from there that's probably the best two ways to find things so uh, but I'll get you guys links in the show notes. Awesome. Right. Good, Good deal. deal. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on here today Thanks and spending some time with us. And I can't wait to uh, to put this out there because I think that the birth mom side of the story is one of the parts that's not very well told. It's not very well understood. And if more either adoptive families or even foster parents can understand that better, it will only serve to help the children have a better long-term outcome. I agree. I agree. Totally. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks so much for your time today. I hope you guys gained some real value out of this interview. If so, be sure and reach out and let us know at fostercareuj at gmail.com. Or if you have a story you'd like to highlight, let us know. We'd be interested in talking to you. Don't forget to check us out at fostercarenation.com. Remember to share this with your friends and on your social medias. And if you happen to be an iTunes user, please leave us a rate and review. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Remember, we put out a new show every week on Friday. And as always, Thanks for 